Good morning. Good to be here. I'm glad that you're here and that you got yourself ready and came to the house of the Lord to hear his word. And I hope you're built up and filled up and encouraged and glad when you leave. So when you see this picture of the inauguration that happened last month, how does it make you feel? Like this? Like this? You don't have to put your thumbs up or down or in the middle. You know, if it makes you feel something at all, it depends on. I wonder how you'd finish that sentence. You might think, well, whether I voted for the guy that won or the gal that lost, but that's not what I was going to say. How you feel depends on whether you are firmly planted in God's kingdom in your thinking or in the kingdom of this world. Or if you have one foot kind of over here in the kingdom of the world more, or one foot over here in the kingdom of God more, because you live in two kingdoms. My fear as a shepherd of souls is that you would get too excited about the transfer of power from one president to the other. My fear is also that you'd get too sad. And I really don't like what the press does to you. And I see that they do to me when I'm driving down the road and I listen to NPR news as it comes on. You know why? Because the more you listen to press about the kingdom of this world and you don't listen to the word of God, the more you can get anxious or excited and as if you're kind of like a social atheist. But you're not atheists. You're citizens of the United States of America, but you're tempted and knocked off balance. So a, a part of this sermon about Joshua standing in Shechem, which was like their Washington, D.C. in a very ancient time before Israel was really fully formed, really, part of this sermon is to give you the permission and the freedom and the insight to keep your balance and to keep your heart full, even though you might be tempted by public persuasion in our United States of America. So just briefly, we'll talk about the great country in which we live. Probably, we'd say, for, for the size of us, the most powerful, influential, free country in the world. And so we're very concerned as educated citizens about her welfare, her economy, and her security. And so when we hear news, we perk up about all those things. We're also concerned about social justice in the American way, and we have different interpretations, even inside the church, about what that should be like as members of the worldly kingdom. But we're members of a better kingdom that's the most powerful, influential, invasive kingdom on the, in the universe, where the captain is Jesus Christ, ruling over all things. We are not first Americans anymore. We are first Christians, children of the king. And Americans second. But frankly, America is so into itself, and I'm one of them, that it's an idol often that doesn't deliver and we get really happy, really upset inordinately. So here we go. Here's Joshua, ancient Israel. He's helped them conquer the promised land. In their psyche, they feel about their land and their nation just the way you do about your United States of America. Only more so because it's a theocracy. God, there's no separation of church and state. God has visibly been delivering them, sending prophets and doing miraculous things. And Joshua is the last great prophet that they've had. 
He's 110 years old. Jerusalem is not prominent in Israel yet. It's still held by the Jebusites. That, was, that came later through David, after the long period of the judges. Shiloh is a little place where there is a, a um, portable temple, the tabernacle. It's 12 miles from Shechem. But Shechem is where Abraham, the great father, 400 years earlier, set up the very first altar when he came to the land that God told him to wander around in. Shechem, this place. That's just a, a picture, a modern picture of the city of, that, that where Shechem is. On the, on the right side of that picture, you can't see the words, but it says Mount Ebal. On the left side, in one of those humps, there's Mount Gerizim. In between is kind of a, a lower, that lower valley is the, in, in the foreground is the saddle called Shechem. There was a town there. That's where Abraham set up the first altar. That's where Jacob brought his four wives and 12 sons and tons of servants and tons of animals when he came down from Laban and he settled in Shechem. So the place is rooted in history. Then later, Joseph in Egypt said, take my bones back to the promised land when you go to conquer it. That came 400 years after Joseph and that's this period of Joshua. And they brought Joseph's bones and they buried them at Shechem. All these things are at Shechem. So, so Joshua's 110. He's about to transfer leadership over to the elders and the priests. And Joshua says, gather at Shechem. And there's probably about a million people. It feels a lot like what America would feel at an inauguration. A whole bunch of people gathered to be there for the, the transfer of leadership from one to another. And Joshua gives a farewell speech, and he really gives this, the, the, the inauguration speech of the priests and elders, because he's talked to them ahead of time, and they're prepped to be on board with him as he lets go. And then Joshua says, I'm going to remind all of you what God did for you. He brought Abraham, he's going back 480 years, he brought Abraham from the land of Iraq. He didn't say that. He said Euphrates. And he brought him from his false gods and his family and he brought him back to this land and then he told him that someday his descendants would, would inherit it. And then he went on and said, after a long time in Egypt, he raised up Moses and Aaron, his brother, and through miracles and plagues, he wrenched you out of Egypt. And then he brought you through these hard times and he named all the battles that they had seen because they had lived through the wanderings. And he said, then he helped you and, you and me conquer this land. God did all of that, and he's the real God, and he's not all the gods of the cultures around us, like Chemosh and Molech and Ashereth and Baal and all those gods, those little statues that some of you have in your tents and some of you have in your homes, and others are being tempted to go after their humanistic worship because there's a lot of free sex there. He said, all of those gods are around, but none of them are really God. The only true God is the one that delivered you, and he brought you safely to this place. Now, serve him with your whole heart. Let's read that paragraph where he calls them to serve him. He's speaking for God in the first verse we have, and then he speaks for himself. After that, let's read this paragraph out loud together. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. 
Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors' worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He's drawing the line in the sand and he's saying, God is your Savior God, serve him with all your heart. That's what my household and I are going to do, but you're left with a choice. Good leaders do that at times. They, they, they force the group to make a conscious choice. Why? Why does he have such boldness? Because he and the people know it's a no-brainer that their God is the only real God and he is a Savior God and a loving God who's specifically chosen them and they're remembering all of that history. So why would I be so bold today as to say, stop getting so upset about your government or stop getting so excited? Because our God is the only real God and he's the Savior God that's working all history for the salvation of all people. And let me just take you on a little walk. He had the Bible written over 1,500 years, chucked full of over 200 prophecies about Jesus Christ long before he came. When Jesus came in the fullness of time, he fulfilled all of them. Born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, came in on a donkey, stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was dying for our transgressions and risen from the dead. And by his preaching, many people will be made righteous. All of that's in the Old Testament. He fulfilled every one of them. But it's not just a, oh, wow, there's no other God that did that. He fulfilled all that stuff that's prophecy. Every single prophecy had to do with your greatest problem being resolved. Our greatest problem is that we sin and we are dying and we will die and we will face our judge who rightfully so could condemn us, should condemn us all to hell, but he doesn't. Because he fixed it. Because he loves us. He's the only true God. He's the God who made the whole universe. And he saved humans that were made in his image. Who left his image willingly. Each one of us. Because he sent his son. Isn't that wonderful? It's all, all that I'm saying right now is objective. It's separated from you and me. But then in your lifetime. Here on this side of the planet. He made someone. Maybe many someones. Find you and teach you and lead you in the safe good news that the God who made you and that made the universe also saved you, and he made you come to believe. He gave you faith. You are among the precious ones that are elect. You've been elected to hear and know and believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. God did that for you. In your lifetime. And you've wandered, W-A-N-D-E-R, with my accent it's hard to tell. You've wandered too, but you've wandered, and you wandered, and he brought people to pull you back. And he still will. People that, you didn't ask them to do it, but he brought them into your life, and they keep pulling you back to his son. So you will be saved and stay saved, and he still does that. On top of that, we're going on a little walk. 
He had you born in a country that's gives, that protects you with an, a wing by its charter at the very beginning, uh, like a hen's wing over all religion in her land. We get to have freedom. I can, I can be saying this here, and I'm not violating any governmental edict. You can worship how you please. You can do it how you want. So that religiously speaking, for Holy Word Lutheran Church Austin, our biggest concern today is why won't they finish that stinking bridge? (laughs) Rather than, are they going to bust through the doors and stop me and stop you and kill us, right? They're doing that to Christians on places on this planet. But you were born in a country by God's choice that you get to be here. And he gave us a peaceful passage of power by a government that he set up some brilliant minds over 200 years ago said there'll be just enough ineffectiveness through the legislative, the judicial, and the executive branch that no despot can be in absolute control the entire time. And they're going to have to pass in and out. They can only be here for a few years. They don't stay in office much longer than somebody stays on a college or pro football team. And God did that for you. Because those... Because he wanted you at this particular time in history to have those dynamics around you. And this is what Acts 17 says, so that you would reach out for him and find him. And then he made sure we found him here, us in this room. Isn't that great? That's wonderful. That's the God we serve. So choose you this day whom you want to serve. You want to serve the world? Or do you want to serve the God who redeemed you? That choice that you make is the most important choice you'll make every day of the rest of your life. So watch Israel as she gets it and she makes it. Let's read what she said together. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. They got it. They believed it. And they voiced that they would serve God with their whole heart. Now, they had to be thinking, if they're listening, they have to be thinking, when we get home, if there's one of those idols in our house, it's got to go. If there is a a love for something outside of the Lord's will, notice it's all capital letters, he's the one that gave them their word and their law and their faith and their sacrifices. If there's something going on in our family against the Ten Commandments, it's got to change. They're thinking, we know what this means. It means we're going to live our lives like faithful people. Joshua, as their pastor and preacher that day, had a very surprising response. Now, real quickly, I didn't make you put your thumb up earlier, your thumb down, but did you go read Joshua 24, any of you? Can you raise your hand if you read it? Okay, five of you, great. That's okay. I know that you don't read those things. I'm not sure I would have read if my pastor sent that to me. 
But here's what he said next, you guys that read it. Didn't it kind of throw you? When they said, we will serve the Lord, he is our God, you'd think that the preacher would go, well, that's great. Let's sing a hymn and say a prayer. Let's stop on a high note, right? You know what he said? No, you won't. You're going to break all the Lord's laws and he's going to bring all the pestilence and judgment on you that he had promised through Moses in Deuteronomy. You won't. You won't keep it. And the people go as a crowd, yes, we will. And he said, no, you won't. He, he was using it as a warning and a challenge, but he was also very worried for them. So he got some stonemasons to put a big stone up. There's a picture there for you. Some archaeologists say this is the stone that Joshua set up at Shechem. So that's where it is today. There's been a lot of wars that have passed over that land. So other archaeologists say that's probably not the exact stone. We don't know. But I'll tell you this. It's a very good, if it's not the actual stone, it's a very good representation of what it was like. Because that's what he put up and that's, that's commensurate with the area and the, the time in which he lived. So that stone is called Joshua's Stone as the stone of witness that he said, this stone will witness that you promised to follow the Lord with all your heart on this day. Now get this, they are not a literary society. They don't have paper, much less smartphones and apps that give you the Bible. They, have, they don't have any of that. Okay, So their faith is transferred back and forth among members of the church and a family by oral communication. So things like stones and the bones of Joseph that are in a box that they brought with them, they're all meant to be illustrations and instructions and words from God. That stone is a word from God. It's the way they remember their Lord and their commitment to serve him. Now, why would Joshua do that since he's the guy that's skeptical? He wants something when he's gone to be preaching to them to come back to the Lord. Because... Making the choice to serve the Lord who saved you is the most important choice you'll ever make every day. So we need reminders, right? Before you leave your bedroom, you decide in the morning, today I'm going to serve the Lord. Before you leave your house, you decide that. Before you start poking around on your cell phone, laying in bed still, getting on wherever, you think, I'm going to serve the Lord. Before you go to the shark tank called a high school, where the peer group will be all over you with their, their ideas of what identity and who you should listen to them, you say, I'm going to serve the Lord. Before someone on a date says, let's go further than we should, you say, no, I'm serving the Lord with my body. You've already made that decision. You see, the decision to serve the Lord who bought you with his, the blood of his own son is this decision that guides all other decisions. And the reason we have so much confusion and anxiety and trouble making decisions, often as God's people, is that we forgot we were God's people when we're in the moment and we're living like the world. And so Joshua and Pastor Patterson are pressing that point home today. He saved you, so as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. So this week, came to see in Elgin, Texas, the Roshkis. And uh, 
you know, you know, preachers, they're preaching this on Sunday, so they're mulling over this text, right? Well, this is their doormat and their door knocker. Can you see them? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So I got permission. I said, can I take a picture of your door knocker and your doormat for Sunday? Joshua's words, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I bet almost everybody here has heard them before today, right? Because that, that phrase at the end of that first paragraph of what we're reading, that phrase is now our stone of witness. We are a literary age. We don't need rocks somewhere on the hill. We look at the word, right? And we've got people that are taking those words and putting them on things like metal door knockers, and we can find them and buy them and set them up. But what they do is they remind us of the very same thing the stone did. Don't forget the Lord who bought you and make the most important choice you'll make every day. And if I could just circle back all the way to the beginning, I choose to be at peace and happy and not overly excited even today in our political environment because I'm a child of the king. And I serve him with my whole heart. And no one can better that. No government can make that life better. That's a life made good by the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen.